Hey friends, my name is Ryan Hughley. I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. We're working to build a community position to experience God in daily life. Our weekly teaching is one piece of that work. So as you listen to this week's message, my prayer is that you would hear God inviting you to respond to his love and his desire for you. For more information, you can visit ridgeline.church. Well, we are in a series uh, that I've entitled, Here I Am. And what this series is about is helping us learn to sit with God in a way that opens our hearts to his transforming presence. If you haven't been tracking along with us here over the last couple of months, we have uh, been talking a lot about what God's intent in our lives is, which is our spiritual formation. It's this process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. So we spent five whole weeks talking about that. It was in a series called Invitations in the Desert. If you missed that, I'd encourage you to get that podcast and to listen to those. But this series is really about how do we position our hearts to experience that forming work in our lives. And so the premise of this series, as I shared last week, is pretty straightforward. And it's just this, that that every relationship, every single relationship requires a particular set of practices in order to prosper. So last week we talked about things like communication and time and presence and uh, apologizing and forgiving, these kind of basic relational practices, all of those have to be present in a relationship for that relationship to prosper. And the truth is our relationship with God is absolutely no different. And so really at, at the heart of so much of what we're talking about over these few weeks is, is really about how do we learn to hear from God? As we've already talked about in our service this morning, we serve a God who has been very clear with us in his word that he wants to speak. I mean, he wants to speak so much he gave us the scriptures in the first place. We serve a God that wants to speak and our desire is to be able to hear from him, to communicate with him. It's mind-blowing to think about that the transcendent God of the universe desires an actual relationship with us in which he wants to talk to us and he wants us to talk back to him. And so last week, we, we talked about this and how oftentimes in our, our lives, we think, man, I just wish that God was, <clears throat> was louder. I wish he would elevate his voice because I don't feel like I'm picking up on what it is that he's saying to me right now. But the truth is we don't need God to shout. God wants us to get still. And so we talked about these dual practices of silence and solitude that help still our hearts in a way that we can actually hear and receive what it is that God wants to communicate with us. And so this morning, as we look at part two of this series, I actually want to start with a story about, which, about what ended up being for me one of the longest and most arduous months of my life. It happened in the summer of 2014. Uh, my now wife, then fiance, Tammy, was studying abroad in Florence, Italy, studying uh, photography there. And it was a magical month for her, and it was a brutal month for me. And, and, and here's why. Since the moment I met her in the summer of 2001, um, there is absolutely nothing and no one that has consumed more of my attention. She, she, her presence occupies this massive part 
of my life. And this is nothing that <clears throat> I'm not sharing with you things I don't share with her. She knows this, but I tell her all the time, like, I, I am like obsessed with you. <clears throat> now, not if you, that was like a, that was like a tentative laugh where people are like, is, <laughs> is our pastor okay? There's a, this is, so not, not like in a weird way, <laughs> but just in a sense that there, there truly is like nothing that occupies like the, the number of times throughout the day where something about her or something that we're walking through together is on my mind, occupying, she occupies my affection. I just, she, she occupies this massive part of my life. And so to have her gone for an entire month was just brutal. And this was at a time where to talk to someone on the phone on another continent was still horribly expensive and I was horribly broke. So we didn't get to, I think we talked like maybe <clears throat> two times over the course of that month. And so what that meant was, one of the few bright spots in this otherwise brutal month was when I would go down to the mailbox and I would find a letter from her that she had written. And now I got these, these things were like sacred to me. At the time I was living with five guys uh, in a house, which was about as fun as it sounds. It was dirty and not, it was just not great. <clears throat> and so I would go down to the mailbox and I would find one of these letters and I would take it back up to my room that for some reason I had painted the most hideous brightest blue a mat, like Captain America's tights kind of blue. <clears throat> and so I would take these letters back up to my room and I would sit with them and I would read them over and over again. I would read slowly, uh, savoring every single, really wanting to understand what it is that she was trying to communicate with me, especially in the absence of being together in person and being able to talk on the phone. And so it was like I was just there to soak in every single word. <clears throat> now, here's why I invite you into what to you might feel like a very sappy story. I really, really believe that God longs for us to read the scriptures like a cherished letter from a loved one. That the same intent, the same attention, those same the same way in which we would read a letter that we were like, I just really want to read what this person has to say to me. I really deeply believe that that is the way that God wants us to read the scriptures. Now, the problem is we tend to read the scriptures like a textbook or we read it like an instruction manual. And if you think about the way that you read do that, that those two types of reading, it's very different than the way that you would read a letter from a loved one. And so here's really the big idea that I want us to understand this morning. <clears throat> Relationship with God is not the result of reading scripture. And that, that might sound like a little counterintuitive, but I want you to really hear me out on this. Reading a relationship with God is not the result of reading scripture. Relationship is the result of savoring it. And that's not the same thing. One of the most important lessons that I would argue that we learn from the example of the Pharisees in the New Testament, or that we look at from just countless examples from our own day, or really what is probably the overarching experience of many of us in this room right now, we, we learn that you can spend a lifetime reading scripture and never really experience a relationship with God, which is pretty sobering. Like again, looking at the, the New Testament example, the Pharisees knew the scriptures better than any one of us in this room. And they spent more time reading it, memorizing it, 
working out how to apply it. It's pretty, that should really like, oftentimes <clears throat> we take this very sort of critical posture toward the Pharisees, like they were so self-righteous and evil and blah, 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 blah. And the truth is their example should really, really calm and sober our hearts where we go, wow, how do you spend that much time with the scriptures and walk away without really having a relationship with God? And so really what we want to spend our time on this morning is we want, to, we want to learn to approach the scriptures differently. And so this morning, I want to talk about savoring scripture for relationship. Rather than just reading it like a textbook, rather than reading it like an instruction manual, rather than even just reading it the way we might read a novel, how do we actually learn to savor scripture in a way that does cultivate and foster relationship with God. And so to that end, I want to spend our time this morning in the book of Psalms. So if you have a Bible or a, an app that you like to read on, I want you to open up to the very first Psalm, Psalm chapter one, Psalm number one. And while you're getting there, <clears throat> if you don't know, really the first two Psalms, Psalm one and two, they introduce most of the themes that are going to be contained within the rest of the Psalms. And one of those prominent themes is that um, while there's a lot of complexity within it, in, in, in this, the scriptures look at life in a very binary way. There's two very distinct ways to live. And again, lots of complexity within those. However, the scriptures kind of divide life into two very different ways to live. There is a righteous way to live, and that has all kinds of byproducts and results. And there is a, the Bible might call it wicked or foolish or evil. Pick your term, it's bad. And, and a sub, uh, suboptimal experience compared to living a righteous life. And so Psalm 1 is a really tremendous example of that, where we see two very distinct ways to live. One that leads to this redeeming life in God, and one that ultimately leads to ruin. And in Psalm 1, what we see is that the happy life belongs to those who savor Scripture. And so if what this psalm says is true, it's pretty critical that we get our heads around how to read in the way that is being described in this psalm. And so let me just read, we're just going to look at verse 1 and 2. Let me just read both of these to you, and then we'll look at them uh, each in its turn. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 say this, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. All right, so look back at verse one. We start with this. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. So we start in verse one <clears throat> with this description of the righteous way of life. And I want you to notice how the psalmist starts with what is the byproduct of that, which he, he labels as happiness. And that word happy that we translate to English comes from a Hebrew word, that really means blessed or fortunate. So it's, this is what true happiness looks like and results from. And I want you to notice how it's rooted relationally. And so in, in this, there is sort of this, this implied question, which is, will you be formed by those who reject God 
or will you be formed by God's own voice? And I want you to notice as you read through that first verse, and we think about being formed by relationship with people who reject God or a worldview that is perpetuated and held by people who ultimately reject God. I want you to notice how there's progression. There's like a drift that sort of takes place. Because notice that the psalmist talks about walking, standing, and then sitting. That to me implies some progression. And so you might have known someone in your life, you might be in the midst of this right now or experience this in your own life, where there was a a point in time in which you felt like, man, I had a, there was this time when I feel like I had a vibrant relationship with God. And then somewhere along the way, that's not true anymore. So maybe you're in that right now where you just look back in hindsight and you're like, man, there was this season where I feel like things were really good and now I just look at where I am and I feel like there's just nothing Nothing, I don't, I, don't, I don't long for God. I'm living in a way that I just know is contrary to what he has for me. Now, here's what I want you to know about that progression and that, that the psalmist even indicates here. That doesn't happen overnight. Someone does not go from, on Monday, I had a vibrant, intimate relationship with God and I just woke up on Tuesday and it was gone. That doesn't happen. There's always a drift that takes place. And we see that indicated here in the Psalm. So think about, think about what happened to so many of us through COVID, okay? Maybe you went into COVID <clears throat> and you went into COVID fit, okay? Physically, fit-ish, we'll call it fit-ish. Not like an Olympian, but like fit-ish, okay? And then you came out, let's just say, fluffy, okay? <laughs> now here's what I know, that did not happen overnight. But here's, I do know, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this this week. This is what I get paid to think about. Here's how it happened, okay? Just like two years ago now, two years ago in March, we got this word like we're going to flatten the curve and we're all going to be home for two weeks, okay? So we got into that. Everybody was home. School was online. And we had, like, there was so much confusion. Remember, there was still so much lack of clarity around what COVID was and how you catch it. We were all like wiping things that got to like, it was just insanity, everything that we had to do. And everybody's like, what is happening? Is the world ending? There was a high degree of anxiety and, and, and in the midst of this confusion. And then somewhere in the midst of that, this amazing thing happened where we all had like the same collective cultural response. We all thought this, I'm going to bake bread. <laughs> the whole world was like, the world's ending, let's bake bread, okay? So it started with that. So it started with, you know what, I've never done this before and I got nothing else to do, so I'm gonna bake some bread. And so then you're like, all of a sudden, I'm like, I've been eating bread three meals a day. I'm having a lot of bread. So it started with that. There's a couple weeks of that and then somewhere along the way, it was different points for different ones of us. Maybe it was like three weeks in or three months in, you went from like, I'm gonna bake bread to like, it's 9 a.m. Whiskey and cake sounds awesome right now. (laughs) And that's why we're all a little fluffier than we were two years ago. But it didn't happen overnight. There was a drift. And the same thing can happen in our spiritual lives. If we don't pay attention to what it is that's happening inside of us, if we don't pay attention to the impact of what goes on outside of us, oftentimes our souls begin to drift. And what we learn in verse two is the way that we kind of skirt that drift, the way that we avoid that drift 
is by savoring scripture. Look at verse two again. Instead, so instead of kind of following this drift of a world that rejects God, instead, the righteous person's delight is in the Lord's instruction. That's the the Hebrew word Torah used there. His delight is in the Lord's instruction. And because of that, notice this, he meditates on it day and night. Now, meditate or meditation is a very common word in our culture, but the Bible does use it in a very specific way. It's a Hebrew word, hagah, and it can also be translated as audible or growl or mutter or to read in an undertone. But when the Psalms in particular use the word meditate, which they do, I believe, 19 times throughout the Psalms, we are invited into this practice of meditation to practice Uh, what this is talking about. It's specifically talking about quietly vocalizing a text repeatedly and pondering what it means. That's what the biblical definition of meditation would be. It's to quietly vocalize a text repeatedly, pondering its meaning. And I love that. And I also like the way that Eugene Peterson, when he would translate this word meditate throughout the Psalms, he used this phrase, take a long, loving look, which I think is a very poetic, beautiful, inviting way to speak about what the Bible is speaking about when it talks about meditation. But here's my definition. When you read the word meditate in verse two, that we, we are to meditate on God's instruction day and night, it's, it's this, it's savoring scripture in a way that invites God to speak. And that is different than the way that we are even trained in our culture, in our school system, in our world to read. It's not the natural way that we read. It's a specific way, a specific type of reading that allows us to savor scripture in a way that invites God to speak. So I I would say that everyone should read scripture the way that my daughter Ava savors dessert. All, All, everyone in my family, except me, for some reason this skipped me, has a sweet tooth. I have like a salt tooth in a major way and a carb tooth and all other kinds of teeth. But the sweet tooth thing missed me. But Ava in particular, since she was little, like there is no one on the planet, I don't think, that enjoys dessert more than she does. And not like in this ravenous way, but like, like she, will, she will enjoy every morsel of pleasure and enjoyment possible out of every single bite. Like, it always takes her the longest to get through anything because she is like, she is, there is intention in the way that she consumes it. She is very present. She's not like distracted with other things. There's care, there's mindfulness. She literally savors every single bite. And that word savor means to enjoy something completely, which I think is the perfect way in a word If you were to sum up in one word, man, what does the psalmist invite in verse two? It's that we would savor, that we would enjoy it completely. And what I want us to understand, what I believe the psalmist makes evident to us this morning is that savoring scripture, it it actually results in relationship with God. That that's the way that we're invited to learn to read scripture so that it does, in fact, not just build up our heads with truth 
and not calloused our hearts with self-righteousness, but that actually results in relationship with God. And so that's, that's the invitation, to savor Scripture in a way that results in relationship with God. But again, there's a one in particular significant obstacle in our ability to be able to savor scripture. And that is we have been taught to read and we have learned to read in a completely different way. See what we're taught, we're not taught really to read for relationship. We're taught to read for information. And that's totally different. So let me, let me contrast these two different ways of reading for us so you can start to see some of the difference here. So first, let's talk about reading for in- information. First of all, when you read for in- information, <clears throat> you read analytically, okay? You read analytically. And by that, I mean that, that we exercise control in the reading. So we select what it is that we're going to read. We usually go into that reading with a, a, a presupposed agenda of what we are trying to get out of it, where we want to end up at the end of it. And so we are in control. We have a problem that we hope to solve. So we go into that reading very analytically. Secondly, when we read for information, we are prone to read rapidly because the goal is the most information in the least amount of time, right? So think about the way that you learned to read for school. You we're going to read just enough to pass the test. Just enough to consume what information it was that you needed. And so you might have learned, like I've, I've learned, I, I read this way much of the time. I have, a, I have an amount that I want to read that I know is beyond my ability to like slowly read in a way that I consume everything. So I, I've learned that like, a lot of books, if I read it, looking at a paragraph, if I read the first sentence and the last sentence, I pretty much get the point. And that's large, I, no, I'm saying like, try it. It's like, by and large, that's true. A lot of times read the first sentence and the last sentence of a paragraph. If the writer's good at what they're doing as well, then you've got the general sense of it. And, and, and sometimes we bring that same mentality to scripture where we're trying to read rapidly. I just want to get through this so I can mark the box and say, I read my Bible today. So we read analytically, we read rapidly, and then thirdly, when we read for information, what we're reading for is mastery of the information. That's what it is that we're after. So think about, <clears throat> not everyone may be familiar with this term, but there's a, there is a, uh, a stream of theology that is called systematic theology. And systematic theology is essentially what the entire scriptures teach on any given subject. So you kind of, you sit with your, the whole Bible and go, okay, what does the Bible say about Jesus? That's called Christology. And so then you survey the entire Bible for everything the whole Bible teaches about Jesus. But, but you're reading for that <clears throat> to master a subject. Does that make sense? You have this doctrine of Christ or a doctrine of the Holy Spirit or a doctrine of the church or a doctrine of the Old Testament or a doctrine of end times. And we want to compile all of this reading and all of this information so that we have mastery in the sense of understanding of that subject. That's reading for information. But there's another way to read. And that other way to read is what we're called to here in Psalm 1 and in a host of other places in the scriptures. And that is reading for relationship. Now notice the difference. When we read for relationship, we are reading contemplatively. 
We are reading contemplatively, meaning that there is a, there's an entirely different posture in the way that we're reading. We're reading in a way that we are, we are trying to listen. We are open. We are reflective. And we're not in control. We come with this posture that says, Lord, what I want is not just to master information. I want to I hear what you want to say to me today. So we read contemplatively. When we read for relationship, we also read repetitively. So think of the way that I read those letters that Tammy sent me. I read them multiple times because I really wanted to have this foster and strengthen relationship even though that we were apart. So we read repetitively, we read slow, we savor it, we enjoy all of it or seek to. We read over and over again. And it's amazing how as we do that, we're always finding more of what it is that God wants to say. And then finally, from a goal standpoint, we are reading to be formed, which is very different than reading to master some subject. We read to be formed. Our goal is to know him and to be known by him. So notice when we read for information, it's kind of like we read to be able to pass a test. And when we read this other way, we are reading for relationship. There's an entirely different goal in mind. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Please don't hear in this that one way of reading is right and one way of reading is wrong. That's not the point. Like if you try to go through, you know, like your master's degree reading for relationship, have fun getting an F and getting no work done. It's appropriate. When the end is mastery of subject, it's appropriate to read for information. That's the whole goal. But when it comes to relationship with God, that's not the goal. Relationship is. So it's not that one is right and one is wrong. It's not that one is good and one is bad. It's that the goal or the end of them is just entirely different. One is about a mastery of information and the other is about being formed by a relationship. And so as we begin to talk a little bit about an old practice, almost 2,000 year old practice of a different way to read, know that as we talk about this, and more importantly, as you begin to experiment with this and try to implement this way of reading in your life, prepare yourself for this might feel a little different. Because genuinely, this is the only context in in which we seek to read this way. So it should feel different for us because some of us have had decades of training our, our minds to read and to consume information in a particular way. And we're trying to break that a little bit to learn how to read in a way that again, cultivates actual relationship rather than just building up more information inside of us. And so to that end, I wanna talk to you about an old practice that comes from a Latin word, Lectio Divina. And this is a practice that some are familiar with. And for many of us in the room, it's the first time that you've ever heard. And you're like, I'm pretty sure he just cast a spell on us because it sounds like I heard that term in Harry Potter. Lectio Divina, it comes from a Latin word, again, that means divine or spiritual reading. And, and, and it's amazing, it was established in the third century is the first time we read about this particular practice. It was really formalized by monks in the sixth century. And it's not about studying. That's a really important distinction to make here. Oftentimes we're, even when it comes to scripture, we are taught to, there's a, there's a, it's important to, I study scripture every week. A good chunk of my time throughout a week is given to that. Studying scripture is good and important. 
But what we're talking about here is a different way of reading that is not about study. It's about inviting God to speak to us so that we could actually experience the reality of Hebrews 4.12, which says that the word of God is living and active. And again, I want you to know that as we look through, there's five movements that make up, make up Lectio Divina. And as, as you begin to practice with them, you might start to feel like, well, this feels kind of mechanical. Well, of course it does. It's a totally different, think of almost any new skill that you learn, any new practice that you would adopt in your life. Oftentimes in the beginning, it feels really, really awkward. Like, has anyone ever learned to like, has anyone ever taken a dance lesson? That's a sobering, that's a sobering experience. Because you realize, like, I have no idea, this feels like, Steph, I go here, I go, like it does not feel natural at all. And oftentimes, spiritual practice is like that for us as well. So let's talk about this practice of Lectio Divina. And then I'm going to close our time actually leading us through one so we can get a sense of what it does feel like. But then I really, more than anything, want to invite you to begin to, to experiment with this practice in your own life. So here's the place you start is you're going to choose no more than six to eight verses, okay? So this is totally, like if you're like a read through the Bible in a year person, you can keep doing that for sure. But to practice this is going to require much less rather than more. So six to eight verses maximum. And then this is what we, last week we talked about silence and solitude. I would, I would suggest that you start this time with at least a couple minutes of just allowing God to still your heart and then we get into these five movements. The first one is this. It's just read. The Latin word that they used was lectio, where you read. So you are reading the text. We're going to read it four times in total. You read, and then there's a time of silence to be able to consider something different each time. So the first time, you just simply read the text, and you are listening for a word or phrase that draws attention. So let's say you're, you're reading six verses. So you read through them and then you hold them in silence considering like what word or phrase really captures my attention? What's something that, that stands out to me? And again, it could just be one word. It could be an image. It could be a phrase. One thing that for some reason above everything else seems to, to really stand out to me. And it can stand out for a couple of different reasons. It might stand out to you because you experience deep resonance. Where, where there's some passage that talks about how God is good. And you're like, man, I need to know that. I need to sit with that. For some reason, the spirit of God puts his hand on that and says, that's for you today. You need to be reminded that God is good. So sometimes it's deep resonance, but you know, it can also be a deep sense of resistance inside of us. Or maybe you read Jesus say, love your enemies. And immediately a face comes to mind. You're like, not that person. That's resistance where we read something and there's something in us that, that resists that, that says, I don't want to do that. That can't be good. I'm not sure I can trust this command. So it can be either one of those things, but that is what it is that we're, that we're looking for. And here's, here's what I would say to you. Just sit with that in the beginning. Okay? It's not about, this is not the point in which we're trying to figure out why do I feel resistant? We're just supposed to sit with and to listen for what's the word or phrase that the Spirit of God is really drawing my attention to. So the first step is to read. The second is to reflect. So is the Latin word meditatio. And this is the question that we consider as we read the text again a second time and then sit with it in silence. We ask this question, where in my life did I need to hear this today? 
Where in my life did I need to hear this today? Now, this is a point at which it's going to be really, really hard for some of us that are very analytically minded, which is some of you that I know well, and I'm thankful for you, but I want you to warn you that this will be hard. This is, you're not trying to like, you're not trying to analyze. You're just simply trying to listen. So rather than bog down in the entirety of the text, again, you're specifically focusing on, again, what's the word or the phrase that the Spirit has drawn my attention to? I'm not going to try to analyze the whole, just I'm focused on where God has brought my attention. And I'm beginning to think about, so where in my life right now did I need to hear this word? So let's go back to the, maybe you're, you read, love your enemies. That's where the spirit draws your attention. And you, you, in the first reading, you're like resistant to that. And then you're beginning in the second reading to think in terms of like, all right, well, where, where do I need this right now? And maybe there's someone from your past Maybe there's someone in your life right now that feels very enemy-like and it's hard to love them and you don't want to love them. So you're beginning to connect what it is that God has said thousands of years ago and now he's using that same word to speak into what's going on in your life right now. So first we read, then we reflect on where is in my life that I need to hear this today. And then the third movement, you read it again, this third one is to respond, the, the Latin word ratio. And we respond, here's the question that we're asking ourselves. How, how am I compelled to respond to God? So he's highlighted this word or phrase for me. It's connected to something that's going on in my life right now. How, how do I need to, how do I, and this is where we begin to have conversation with God. And here's what I want to stress so much. Don't edit your response. You know why your prayer life feels so boring and so dry? It's because we spend so much time talking to God about things we don't actually care about. We talk to him about the things that we feel like, I'm a Christian, so I'm supposed to talk about this. What kind of weird way is that to communicate with anyone? What's really going on? So maybe you read that and you are angry that Jesus would call you to love someone who has hurt you so deeply. Tell him that. That's prayer. And nothing will bring your prayer life to life like learning to be open, unedited, and honest with God. So maybe there's an invitation or a challenge that God has put before you, and you're not like, bring your unedited response to him and talk to him about it. He can handle that. And if you're like, well, I'm not, I'm not, then you need to read the Psalms more honestly. Because anyone that has ever read the Psalms honestly goes, there is a lot in the Psalms. I am uncomfortable praying. So bring an unedited response to God. So at this point, notice we've read the text four times, right? We've read it, reflected We've responded, and then we come to this fourth movement, which is to rest. The Latin word, contemplatio. And the question that we're asking ourselves here is, what, what is God inviting me to sit with today? So maybe God has called you to something that you feel resistance in, something that's really, really hard. After you have responded to him, here's, here's one of the most important ways to learn to strengthen your relationship with God. It's to bring an unedited response to him. So just for sake of example, maybe, maybe you say like, Lord, I, I hear you inviting me to love whoever that person is. 
and they've wounded me. Like I've never been the same since what they did to me. I'm altered by what they did to me. I'm in therapy because of what they did to me. So I don't want to love that person. And quite frankly, I'm pretty frustrated that you would ask me to. I know that doesn't sound like super spiritual, but it's an honest response to a very difficult command. And so after you've had the opportunity to respond, then we get to just sit in the presence of God quietly, having read this a fourth time. And here's what you're going to experience. Not lightning, not fire falling from heaven and killing you dead because you brought an honest response to God. You're going to find a father who is still there. He's still gentle. He's patient. He still smiles over you, no matter how unrighteous your response to him might have looked. He has a gentle look on his face, and he says, I know. I know it's hard. And I know you're angry. And it's okay. And I'm still here. I'm with you. I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not going to empower you to do. I'm going to help you. That's what you get in response. And so we just sit in these final moments and we rest. Not just in what God has said to us, but in who he is with us in whatever that is. And then finally, the fifth, this is my own. Okay, I know it feels very arrogant to say, you know what, I feel like this 2,000-year-old needs more of what I think. Okay, I understand that. But this is helpful for me. The, it's, it's what I would, I would label as resolve. There's a Latin word for it, incarnatio, which is where we get the word incarnation, putting flesh on something. And so before you leave this time of sitting with God, I would encourage you to think through what word or phrase am I going to carry with me today? so that I can continue to sit with, not just have my meditation, my savoring of what it is that God has spoken to me today and in this you know, 10, 15, 30 minute period that I've spent with God, but I wanna be able to carry this through my day. And so distilling that down to a word or a phrase that you can, you're not gonna memorize six to eight verses every single day, but you can take a word or a phrase that summarizes the essence of what it is that the Spirit has said to you and you can carry that with you through the day. Now, I don't know about you, but my first exposure to this, I was like, this is a totally different way of sitting with scripture than what I'm familiar with. Most of my life has been trying to read through the Bible in a year, which means reading four big chunks, four different places most of the time, and then hitting Leviticus and being like, well, I hate this. And then having like a whole month where I just don't read the Bible at all because I'm still so confused by Leviticus and discouraged by the fact that this book tripped me up again. That's what happens so much of the time. This is a very different way to read. And so here's, here's what, before I just lead you through Electio to close uh, our time of teaching this morning, here's what I want to say to you. I want to prepare your expectations for, I was going to say nine out of 10, but maybe 99 times out of 100, you're not going to have like a burning bush moment. Like the heavens probably aren't going to part. You probably won't hear the audible voice of God. In fact, if you're hearing the audible voice of God on the regular, come find me because I want to make sure you're okay because <laughs> that's just not a common experience. 
So maybe 99 times out of 100, we're not going to have this like big life-altering word spoken up over us. And so here's how I want you to think about this daily practice. Think of it as I am building a storehouse of God's speech to me. So imagine a storehouse where maybe like a farmer would keep grain or something like that. What we're doing as we sit with God in the scriptures every single day is we are building a storehouse of God's speech, a a storehouse of just simple words spoken to us from God for the day. And those simple words spoken to us add up to a life of relationship with God. Like as I flip, this is one of the reasons I journal. I could flip through the last three years of journal and go, I have no reason to wonder if God speaks to me. I've got like concrete evidence of years of his faithfulness when I'm faithful to get still of him saying something to me. And again, it's not always life altering, but it's something I needed to hear in the moment because that's the kind of God that he is. And so as we close right now, I want to invite you to close your Bibles, put down anything you have in your hands, and I want to, I want to read Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29 to you. These are words from Jesus, and I want us to work through this very thing because, again, it can feel very mechanical. I want to give you a sense of what does it feel like to actually do this. Now, when I do this privately, I do this with a journal because <clears throat> so, it just helps me. That might help you as well. It, it may not help you. But the ideal way, truthfully, and the historic way that this was practiced was in community like this, where one person would read the text over us and we got to sit with these questions. So I want to invite you to close your eyes to get into a comfortable posture. I want to invite you to take a couple of slow, steady, deep breaths in through your nose, long drawn out exhale through your mouth. We talked about the importance of breathing last week, the way that it regulates our parasympathetic nervous system and literally tells your body to calm down. So some deep breaths. Believing that God has something that he wants right now, like we've just been talking about right now, that he wants to say. So this first time through, I want you to just listen to these words from Jesus. And I want you to be mindful of maybe a word or a phrase that stands out to you above the rest. Jesus would say to you, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I want you to take that word or phrase that stood out to you, and I just want you to hold that in your mind for a second. Don't analyze it, don't judge it. Just hold that in silence for a moment, acknowledging, man, this is something that the Spirit wants to draw your attention to. Now this second time through, we're going to reflect on where this word or phrase touches our lives right now. 
Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I'm lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Where does that word or phrase touch something in your life right now? Now in this third reading, in the silence afterwards, I'm going to invite you to respond in an unedited manner to God. So maybe something, maybe you're experiencing resonance with this word or phrase, maybe it's resistance, whatever it is. I'm going to read this again, and then I want to invite you to respond to God about what it is that you're hearing. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Bring your unedited response to God right now. Now, as we read this a fourth time, I want to invite you again at the end to just sit with God in his presence, knowing that he's with you, speaking these words to you. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly, humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus, I thank you that you are intent on us experiencing rest and refreshment in you. It's not your intent to drive us into the ground. It's not your intent to burden us, to crush us under the weight of religious activity or self-righteous behavior. You want us to thrive as we saw in, in 
Psalm 1, you desire that we would experience true happiness in life. And that is only possible as we learn to abide in relationship with you. And so as we've talked today, Lord, I I just pray that you would help us to adopt a new way of being with you in the scriptures. A way that is marked by openness. That we would read in an unhurried manner, slowly, repetitively, contemplatively with our hearts and minds open and receptive to what you want to say to us because your voice is the sustaining factor in our lives. So Jesus, we thank you again and again and again that you laid down your life not to turn us into some sort of religious clones or robots that mindlessly accomplish tasks for you. You laid down your life for us so that we could be in redeeming, healing relationship with you. And so forgive us for settling for the former. And would you continue to patiently lead us into the latter? Help us to savor your word in a way that deepens relationship with you. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.